We've been spending some time getting the context for the Sixth Commandment so that we'll not only know the rules, but why it is that the rules are the rules. And so we started by considering that great shining virtue of purity, which protects the incredible creative power, the power that God has blessed us with, and how holy purity puts those who are in love with it to make sure they put women and children first, to keep babies first. And then we looked at the consequences of sins of lust, which are sins against purity. Now there's another virtue that we need to get a handle on in order to understand clearly the church's teaching when we're just talking about the sixth and ninth commandment, and that virtue is modesty. Modesty is so important that the inspired word of God says in Philippians 4, 5, let your modesty be known to all men. Let your modesty be known to all men. Fine. So our modesty is supposed to be known to all men, but what is it? Modesty is the virtue that gives a man the ability to be moderate in all things, to control his desires, to moderate his passions, and especially his desires for pleasure, according to the rule of right reason. It's a part of temperance, so it gives him the ability to control and discipline his desires for pleasure according to the measure of reason. It's a moral virtue, therefore, that guards purity by giving a man the power to practice due measure in his actions and his dress. So it's a moral virtue that guards purity. And this relationship between modesty and purity is easy to understand. Imagine someone setting down a little bitty baby on a kitchen countertop and then going about his business. What's probably going to happen if they're not paying attention to that baby? There's a good chance the baby's going to roll or crawl or fall off the counter and in the process get terribly hurt. Everybody knows that when we have something that's very valuable or delicate or priceless like a baby, we don't just leave it laying around. We protect it. We protect it. In the case of a baby, we might put it down in a crib with rails on the side or a playpen. Again, it has rails on the side to keep the baby from getting out, from falling off, from getting in trouble. Okay? All right, Father, but what does putting a baby on a counter have to do with the relationship between purity and modesty? Just as we protect a priceless little baby by putting guard or a guardrail around it so it can't get hurt, so also we protect purity by surrounding it with a fence of modesty. Purity, which protects the great protect creative power that God has blessed man with, is priceless and delicate. And modesty is the hedge or the fence or the wall which surrounds and protects purity. That's the relationship there. Pope Pius XII used this very language when he stated that modesty is a natural bulwark. It's a natural wall of defense, of purity. Those are the terms the Holy Father used to describe it. Since modesty shields purity, when modesty is violated, that means there's a breach in the walls, which leaves an open pathway for impurity. So it's easy to see how absolutely essential this virtue is. Why does a violation of modesty instantly open the way to impurity? Quick review. In the first place, we all have this passionate desire to enjoy pleasurable things outside the rule of reason. We all have this condition that inclines us all towards sin. 
We all look in addition called concupiscence, excepting, of course, Our Lady. Now, on top of the fact that we're all suffering from concupiscence, our passions happen to be most strongly ordered towards the desire to procreate. Now, purity, also called chastity, protects this great creative power. But as we've seen from the teachings of the saints, doctors, and popes, impurity, violation of that virtue, is the virtue that fills hell with souls. Thanks be to the good God, he's given us another virtue to protect us. And that's the great virtue of modesty, which moderates our acts so that they don't cause anyone to have problems with lust. In other words, modesty moderates our external acts and our dress so that we don't scandalize anyone. Now remember, in Catholic moral teaching, the word scandal doesn't mean being shocked like it does in common discourse. Being scandalized means being tempted into sin by the actions of another. Being scandalized is being tempted into sin by the actions of another. Actions which endanger the spiritual life of another are acts of scandal, okay? Now, there's two possibilities when we're speaking of scandal. Deliberate or unintentional. Deliberate scandal, when we're speaking of modesty, would be, for example, if someone deliberately, knowingly, acts or dresses in an immodest fashion. Secondly, unintentional scandal would be when someone, out of ignorance, acts or dresses in an immodest fashion. Let's take a quick look at both those possibilities. Deliberate scandal. The redemptorist moral theologian, Father Henry Sattler, has a great discussion of this. Quote, If a person actually desires to stir up lust in another, his intention is evil, and he commits a mortal sin even if he does not succeed in that purpose. Close quote. Okay, so that we can see that to deliberately even try to tempt someone into a serious sin, to deliberately do that, is in and of itself mortally sinful. It reminds us of the serpent. Now let's consider unintentional scandal, the condition when someone acts or dresses in an immodest fashion out of ignorance. Father Sattler, quote, Granting that there's no evil purpose in our actions, we still have obligations to our neighbor. We may not do what we please if what we do is a danger to the salvation of our neighbor's souls. Acts which endanger the spiritual life of another are acts of scandal. And they are forbidden because love for our neighbor demands that we do not induce or help him to sin. This principle especially concerns modesty and dress and those actions which are done in company with others. Close quote. We have obligations to our neighbor. How this needs to be burned into all of our American minds. We have obligations to our neighbor. We may not do what we please if what we do is a danger to the salvation of our neighbor's soul. We have obligations to our neighbor. Acts which endanger the spiritual life of another are acts of scandal. They are forbidden because love for our neighbor demands that we do not in any way induce him or help him to sin. 
This principle especially concerns modesty and dress and those actions which are done in company with others. Quick review. Deliberate scandal occurs when someone deliberately, knowingly acts or dresses in an immodest fashion to stir up lust in another. This is mortally sinful whether or not he is successful. Unintentional scandal occurs when someone out of ignorance acts or dresses in an immodest fashion. Now that we've taken a quick look at the people who are offering scandal, let's take a quick look at the people being scandalized. There are three possible categories of people to consider when we're considering people being scandalized by modesty. Father Sattler. The first group comprises those who are looking for opportunities to sin. No one has any obligation to avoid giving opportunities to such people. They must solve their own problems. The second group is composed of ordinary people who try to lead a chaste life. Divine charity obliges us to avoid giving them occasions of sin. Therefore, any action which would bring some well-intentioned person to sin or to grave danger of sin would itself be sinful. The last group includes those who, however well-intentioned, are weak regarding their observance of the Sixth Commandment. This group is comprised of children, adolescents, and others who are known to be especially liable to sin. Extraordinary precautions must be taken with this group. Close quote. So the three categories of men to be considered when worrying about being scandalized by immodesty are those looking to sin, ordinary folks trying to live chaste lives, and those who are weak. Those looking to sin, those looking for the occasions, ordinary folks trying to live chastely, and the weak, especially children and adolescents. We don't have to worry about those looking to sin. They're on their own. But we are obliged before God to avoid any immodesty which would give an ordinary man an occasion of sin, and we're obliged to use extraordinary precautions in this regard around children, adolescents, and the weak. Our Lord has some very sobering words in this regard. Quote, He that scandalized one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone should be hanged about his neck, that he should be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to that man by, who, by whom scandal cometh. Woe to that man by whom scandal cometh. He that should scandalize one of these little ones, it were better for him that a millstone be hanged around his neck and he be drowned in the depths of the sea. Now keep in mind there's a symmetry here between the person offering scandal and the person being scandalized. If someone is dressing in an immodest fashion, they're guilty for offering forbidden fruit. But the people are scandalized, they're guilty for taking the forbidden fruit, okay? The person offering is guilty for offering, whether or not he gets any takers. The person taking are guilty for taking, okay? Let's review. We've seen that because we're members of a fallen race, we all suffer from concupiscence. We know that's that desire for sensual goods outside the order of reason. And we've seen that because of concupiscence, men are strongly inclined towards sins of impurity, sins which fill hell with souls. 
And we've seen that modesty is a virtue that protects us from sins of impurity. And we realize that because we have obligations to our neighbor, we may not do what we please if what we do is a danger to the salvation of his soul. We've seen that acts that endanger the spiritual life of another are called acts of scandal. And God forbids them because love for our neighbor demands that we do not induce or help him to sin. We've seen that we have to be cautious around ordinary people who are trying to live chastely and extraordinarily cautious around the weak, especially children and adolescents. And we've seen that this applies to modesty and dress and actions done in company with others. Today, because of the time, we'll only look at one practical application. But before we even get started on that topic, let me make three points. First, what I'm going to say is nothing personal. I just want to get to heaven. And I want you all to get there too. Okay, it's a cooperative effort. We're not in this alone. We have obligations to our neighbor. My obligation is to tell you how it is. Acts which endanger the spiritual life of another are acts of scandal. And God forbids them. So if anybody's been offering scandal, and if he doesn't repent and reform, bottom line is there's something far worse than a millstone in his future. Second, I'm in sales, not management. I don't make this stuff up. If someone has a problem with what I'm saying here, you don't have a problem with me. You might have a problem with my delivery, but you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with God. I don't make it up. Third, many people seem to think the church has a double standard, one for men and another for women. But that's not true at all. As Father Sattler points out, because of the differences between the sexes, some difficulties are stronger in one sex than the other, and so they have to be dealt with accordingly. Men typically have more problems with purity itself and with modesty of the eyes and of touch, so this is where men have to be more careful. For example, it's certainly no secret that viewing pornography is by and large a male problem. Women must give more attention to the whole field of modesty and be more considerate of the weakness of others. The difficulties come about, out about even when we're speaking in terms of sin. We all ought to be pretty familiar with the story, only the names have changed. One sex is typically guilty of offering the forbidden fruit, and the other sex is typically guilty of accepting it. So it's nothing personal. I don't make it up. Men generally have a rougher time with purity, and women generally have a rougher time with modesty. The bottom line is that Christ calls all Catholic men and all Catholic women to have a sense of responsibility for one another and to show that. By our practice of the virtues of purity and modesty, we have obligations to each other. And if we're in love with him, we have to show it by how we deport ourselves. So having said that, today we'll take a quick look at modesty and dress. The next time we pick up the topic, we'll deal with the modesty with respect to looks. Since we're speaking of modesty and dress, this principally concerns the ladies, how you dress, and how you teach your children especially your daughters, to dress. We've heard the infallible word of God state, let your modesty be known to all men. How does that concretely apply to modesty and dress? Pope Pius XII, quote, We have to prefer the spiritual welfare of our neighbor to our bodily comforts. 
If a certain kind of dress constitutes a grave and proximate occasion of sin and endangers the salvation of your soul and others, it is your duty to give it up. Oh, Christian mothers, if you knew what a future of anxieties and perils, of ill-guarded shame you prepare for your sons and daughters, imprudently getting them accustomed to live scantily dressed and making them lose their sense of modesty, you would be ashamed of yourselves and you would dread the harm you are causing to yourselves and the harm which you are causing these children whom heaven has entrusted to you to be brought up as Christians. No matter how broad and changeable styles may be, there is always an absolute norm to be kept. Style must never be a proximate occasion of sin. Immodesty in fashion depends upon the cut of the garment. The garment must not be evaluated according to the estimation of a decadent or already corrupt society. Close quote, our Holy Father, Pope Pius XII. Immodesty in fashion depends upon the cut of the garment. There is always an absolute norm and the style must never be a proximate occasion of sin. If a certain kind of dress constitutes a grave and proximate occasion of sin, it is your duty to give it up. The garment must not be evaluated according to the estimation of a decadent or already corrupt society. All right then, since immodesty depends on the cut of the garment and we're not supposed to evaluate it according to the norms of a decadent corrupt society like the one we live in, what's the absolute norm by which a garment must be evaluated? During the reign of Pope Pius XI, the Holy See issued the norms for modesty and dress. These are timeless standards for women's clothing. They're independent of particular fashion trends. In other words, these are the absolute norms. Number one, it must not be cut deeper than two fingers breadth under the pit of the throat. In other words, no more than two fingers width below the top of the, of the breastbone. Number two, quarter length sleeves are tolerated. In other words, no sleeves as blouses or bare shoulders. Number three, it must reach beyond the knees. Number four, transparent materials are improper. Notice what these rules are intended to do. They're intended to prevent a woman from being an occasion of sin to others. The absolute norms are designed to ensure that her body is concealed according to the measure of right reason. Concealed, not revealed. What did the Holy Spirit say? Let your modesty be known to all men. Modesty also automatically forbids tight clothing. Tight sweaters, tight blouses, tight skirts, tight shorts, tight pants. They're all immodest. They're all immodest. Let your modesty be known to all men. Those slit skirts, what are those meant to do? Attract men's eyes to your legs. What for? What's it for? Does this let your modesty be known to all men? 
Well, Blessed Jacinta, she's one of the visionaries at Fatima, was dying, laying in the hospital bed dying. She grew very sad because of the worldliness of her visitors, women who had come in all decked out in fashionable clothes, oftentimes with low-cut dresses. What is it all for, she asked, if they only knew what eternity is? If they only knew what eternity is. Low-cut blouses, short skirts, short shoes, or short uh, shorts, worldly fashions. What is it all for? What is it all for? Now, just in case someone's getting bent out of shape here, just calm yourself down and ask yourself a question. Do you really think people should walk around without clothes? No? Then we agree exactly on the principle. We're just haggling over the application. And think about what that means. We're holding for God's standards here. You're holding for someone else's. Remember what Our Lady warned us through Blessed Jacinta. Quote, certain fashions will be introduced which will offend our Divine Lord very much. Those who follow God ought not to follow these fashions. The church has no fashions. Our Lord is always the same. Close quote, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Here's those absolute norms again. It must not be cut deeper than two fingers breadth under the pit of the throat. Quarter length sleeves are tolerated. No bare shoulders. It must reach below the knees, not to the knees, not above the knees, below the knees. Padre Pio used to insist that skirts would be eight inches below the knees. Four, transparent materials are improper. The Pope, we have to prefer the spiritual welfare of our neighbor to our bodily comforts. If a certain kind of dress constitutes a grave and proximate occasion of sin and endangers the salvation of your soul and others, it is your duty to give it up. If you got them, it's your duty to give them up. Repent before it's too late. Get rid of them. Get out the scissors. Do whatever it takes, but get rid of them. Let's close with a few thoughts to meditate on from those great doctors of the church, St. Gregory the Great and St. Ambrose. St. Gregory the Great, where Christ is, their modesty is found. Where Christ is, their modesty is found. St. Ambrose, how delightful it is to do good to others by your appearance. How delightful it is to do good to others by your appearance. How delightful it is to imitate Our Lady. Where Christ is, their modesty is found. Let your modesty be known to all men. Do good to others by your appearance, and let your modesty be known to all men.